Hello and welcome to the latest video in this series which asks the question, which money is best? Today's answer is the one that you're all expecting, cryptocurrencies. But do cryptocurrencies really live up to all of the hype? I've asked my old friend and co-conspirator Sam Volkering this time to answer that question and he's been telling me about Bitcoin since 2012. And Sam, I know Bitcoin was the investment opportunity of a lifetime as you told me back then, but do cryptocurrencies really form the best type of money? That's such a loaded question, Nick, but I, I, I do like it. Um, look, I, I, I do believe that they are yeah, <laughs> the best money. They may not be actually the best money, <laughs> but I believe they will be the money that we use uh, in the future. Um, and, and look, and we, we've spoken about this for a long time over many years. Um, and I'm sure there's plenty of people that disagree with me, but I, I believe that in the in the future that we will be using a cryptocurrency as the as a global reserve currency, and I'm, and most likely that's going to be Bitcoin. That doesn't mean that Bitcoin is necessarily the money that we will all use. Much in the same way as we don't use US dollars here in the UK, and you do not use US dollars in Japan. So in that sense, I think that we will be using a crypto-based financial system and monetary system um, that will be deeply rooted in Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. What makes cryptocurrencies superior to some of the things we've discussed in the other videos like gold and silver and, and variations of precious metals? Look, there's, there's actually probably some commonality between cryptocurrency and gold and some of the commodities in that sense in that you know when you when you go back to the origins of what cryptocurrency is and why it why it really came about uh, well sort of starting with bitcoin um, most predominantly is very much <clears throat> a story about power control of finance uh, of a monetary system and as we know the traditional financial system is very deeply uh, etched with centralized control. Um, you know, the central bank governs the monetary policy and, and obviously the government with fiscal policy and how those two intertwine into how global economies work. You know, it's, it's, it's the, the stuff we've been using our whole lifetimes and for, for people watching their whole lifetimes. Um, to, to a degree. I mean, there was obviously the gold standard, which you know mo much more about and so forth. But... I think what we're, what we're facing now is a point in time where there's a realization that that system may not actually have, be one that works. I mean, we, we've, known, we've known that for a while, that, that, that it doesn't really work and that it has the potential to work, but those that are in power and have that centralized authority have kind of stuffed it up quite badly. Um, and, and that brings us to a point now, which has been really building for arguably a couple of decades, um, that you just can't continue to keep the traditional financial system, and monetary systems going the way they are, because already, you know, there are a number of sovereign nations that are effectively bankrupt. So what, what cryptocurrency does is it takes that centralized authority out of the question and we are talking about with something like bitcoin a decentralized distributed permissionless network where the the monetary system of bitcoin is etched into code into immutable code 
Um, now, you, it can be improved and upgraded, but effectively the core sort of basics of that, of the number of issuance of, of Bitcoin that can ever exist, uh, how that actually comes about through, through mining, and then the smaller denominations of that really do unlock what is what is has the potential to be a fully fledged global reserve currency um, with with more than enough circulation that that we could be talking about entire circular economies that are that use Bitcoin as the the currency that underpins them. We made a video with John Butler about central bank digital currencies CBDCs. And the impression that I got from that video and from my own research, obviously, is that CBDCs are the next technological upgrade in, in that controlled, centralized financial system that you've been talking about. And that's all they are. They're the next level. They use cryptocurrency technology to some extent. Whereas the cryptocurrencies that, that you focus on, that is something radically different in, in its nature, right? So so that people don't get confused because the underlying technology is is similar in some ways. Can you highlight that difference for me again between you know, a, a real shift of, of a Bitcoin or, or something similar being uh, a, a reserve currency or, or an underlying monetary asset uh, versus this CBDC system? Yeah, I mean, a central bank digital currency isn't going to be grossly different to what everybody um, currently uses. In, in reality, most of the money that we actually have and use, you know, fiat money, pounds, yen, dollars, whatever it is, um, it's 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 mostly digital anyway. Uh, and 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 for people that don't understand, is that the the traditional system works on a, a fractional reserve policy policy. So there are not enough physical units of money in the world if everybody wanted to have their deposits from the bank and stick it under a mattress in the bed so in that sense a lot of the money that does circulate around the world today is already digital uh, it is it is backed and based by nothing it, by by trust in the government is is effectively what the central banks and, and the government will have you believe is that money as we have traditionally known it is fundamentally backed by the trust in the central bank and government if you take that away, then you don't have trust in the money that we currently use. And that is a trend that is building more and more momentum. Nonetheless, it's centralized issuance control. The upgrade to, to central bank digital currencies just amplify that control. It makes it easier for them to disseminate money to parts of the economy and parts of society and also shut it off. So it's a very controlled environment. People say that it's going to be... A, you know, central bank crypto, it, it won't be because it will fundamentally be built on private networks controlled by the Bank of England or uh, the Bank of Japan or whoever it might be that's issuing it and continue to be controlled by fiscal and monetary policy. Anyway, so that's sort of that to one side. With When we're talking about cryptocurrency, there is no central bank of Bitcoin. There is no CEO of Bitcoin. There's no board of Bitcoin. The, the network itself without trying to get too technical behind it, is, is decentralized in a way that nodes, miners, participants all over the world are the network. And that the, the code that determines how many Bitcoin uh, are issued as a reward for miners that come into circulation has been etched in stone since the very first Bitcoin block and Bitcoin reward back in 2009. So it's never changed and it won't change. 
So there will only ever be 21, just under 21 million Bitcoin. And if you actually look at how you can divide Bitcoin into the smallest denomination of a Bitcoin, which is a quarter Satoshi, we're talking about a 2.1 quadrillion Satoshi uh, issuance in total. Now, if, if the way it progresses is the way that I see it progressing, where we have Bitcoin as a, as a global reserve currency uh, with circular economies based on that, entire supply chains that, that buy things, sell things, trade in with Bitcoin underpinning that, that money system, um, then 2.1 quadrillion is more than enough to have a fully functioning system like that. Um, it is by nature deflationary in that sense, is that you will only ever have a capped amount. There will be supply and demand that, that come with that if it continues to progress the way that I, I believe it will. But what it fundamentally does is it makes us think about the concepts that we've built our financial system on around you know inflation and, and growth and, and and capital access to capital and how we get access to capital and credit and debt in economies to fuel that growth it makes us rethink all those concepts about actually is that sustainable and that perhaps this is an alternative system that actually works better for the whole of society rather than the wealth hoarders and centralized controllers. So in that sense, you know, th and that, this is where this is where you get a lot of the, you know, tribal <laughs> pushback from whether it be from gold believers and investors or whether it be, you know, traditional financial types. Um, or pure, you know, crypto Bitcoin maxis is is that we don't really know how it is going to play out. Is that it's in theory uh, how it could play out and how we think it might play out, but in reality we just don't know. But what it does do is it provides us with a viable alternative that that gives us that potential to take some of that control away from those who have basically stuffed things up for the last. 15, 20 years. And much further than that, I would suggest. I think your key point here is that, you know, it, there's a, a big difference between designing something and saying it's going to work and then it sort of comes up short and, and something evolving and improving over time. And then Bitcoin's an evolving and improving idea and the fiat system is controlled and, and, and determined and, and will fail over time. And so it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy in the sense that, you know, if it becomes true, it's because cryptocurrencies were the best form of money. They were the best alternative there at the time. Uh, and while everybody else is debating about this very theoretically, um, cryptocurrencies are actually happening. Um, but the story goes back much more than 2009 and, and the launch of Bitcoin. And I think people need to understand this, that, that there was a bit of a movement. There's an ideology behind all of this. Um, that gives away a lot about what Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are all about. Yeah, I mean, so uh, I, this is where I, every time I have people, uh, you know, sort of new to crypto and Bitcoin, I, what I do is I, I tend to tell them that before you really start to sink your teeth into this, go back and read the very original white paper from Satoshi Nakamoto um, and then read the email threads so the, the actual white paper was released in 2008. Um, I think it was October 2008. And then between that and the actual launch of Bitcoin in January 2009, there's a whole bunch of email threads between Satoshi, Halfini, um, 
couple of other other sort of somewhat skeptics and it, they moot the idea of of bitcoin for, based off the white paper and they discuss some of the potential of it what it could become how finny um you know sort of forecasts he goes you know if this catches on and and it becomes you know a, a significant part of, of of global finance then you know he forecasts you know i think a million dollar bitcoin you know all the way back in 2008 but what you will also find is in that original white paper is that Satoshi references a number of other researchers and digital money um, ideologists that go back actually as far as I think the 70s or 80s, really. So this has actually been something that's been brewing since the world came off the gold standard. And through the 70s and 80s and 90s has been a continual, and early 2000s has been a continual sort of idea that originally kind of existed amongst cryptographers, the, the cypherpunk community, very much almost a, a very kind of anti-establishment um, uh, type approach to, to money and how things can be issued. And it references things um, like uh, Nick Szabo. Um, it references, um, uh, I think, David Chom, uh, and a whole bunch of other different researchers that have sort of theorized on the idea of how digital money could work and there were actually cryptocurrencies before bitcoin they just never kind of got traction and got going in the same way that bitcoin did and i think that's primarily because when bitcoin's block first block actually was mined the genesis block was out the back of the 2008 global financial crisis and the market had basically hit a bottom around sort of March of 2009. So, so Bitcoin kind of came along as we got one of the earliest recognitions of how much our financial system had been distorted and convoluted and, and, and corrupted. And so it was, the timing was right for Bitcoin. Um, whether by, by intention or by accident, could be a bit of both. But there were several heads, sort of several um, starts before Bitcoin even really came about. And as I say, some of the names that you should look at, you know, Adam Back, David Chom, um, uh, Wei Dai, um, you know, the, Nick Zabo, they've done a lot of research on, on, on digital money. Or some, I think one of the ones is, is B money. Um, again, it, it's Bitcoin wasn't something that just came about out of thin air. It had been building and building and building amongst these communities uh, for some time. And it was very much that sort of anti-establishment um, approach to, you know, centralized authority and control of finance. And what could our world look like if we took that into a decentralized way? Then Bitcoin came along and, you know, I guess I, I've, I've referenced it before as, as like the, um, the big bang of, uh, of digital money really yeah that there was this sort of clashing of atoms and, and this is what we've we've been been left with this this burgeoning emerging fascinating alternative financial system yeah that mention of it being anti-establishment and the anti the, the legacy financial system that's what interests uh, nigel farage and why he's partnered with you a uk independent wealth to try and make people realize um, at Fortune and Freedom, our readers tend to be anti-establishment as well. And to help them realize that, that that's what the connection is and why he's so interested in cryptocurrencies. There's a particular distinction, though, that we should be making here, as I understand it, which is between the Bitcoin maxis, as you've called them, and I don't know what the altcoiners are called. Um, 
I won't use the word, but I can tell you what Bitcoin maxis call them. Um, look, there's there's a lot of tribalism in the crypto communities. Um, some good, some bad. I think I think you've got to kind of understand that. I think the I mean obviously the motives of certain people are are very vested in in what they're what they're doing, and so you know a lot of the Bitcoin maxi maximalists. You know, they, I, I can understand where they're coming from. And, and, and look, to be fair, f from all accounts is that the way in which Bitcoin was constructed, the, the, the code behind it, the, the way that it works, it, it does. And even its original intentions, you know, its original intentions of a, of a peer to peer medium of exchange. You know, it's it sort of moved away to that. It, it's become a bit of a store of value, but there's a lot of other things happening in terms of development around Bitcoin's network that allow it to be money and a store of value and a whole bunch of different kinds of things. So it's a, it's a very unique asset and we shouldn't ever try and, and think of Bitcoin as gold or an asset uh, like a stock or property because it is, Bitcoin is Bitcoin. So, you know, we need to get our head out of TradFi, traditional finance, thinking and realize that it is what it is. It, you know, you don't... People don't go, you know, if, if if we never had a house and then all of a sudden the first house came along, people wouldn't go, oh, this house is like a stock. It must be like, it's like no, it's a, it's a friggin' house. So it's its own thing. And and so you've got to think about Bitcoin in that sense. Again, it challenges us how we think about money and finance. Then you look at other cryptocurrencies and, and you know, the probably the other prominent ones that, that people constantly reference when we're talking about money is, is Ethereum. Uh, weirdly, XRP, which used to be called Ripple. These are the kinds of cryptocurrencies that, are, that again, have very tribal communities behind them. that are like, no, ours is the best. Ours is the best. It's like, oh, just chill your beans. They're very different beasts. They're Ethereum and, and, and XRP and a lot of other altcoins aren't as decentralized as you might think they are. They are working towards that, or at least Ethereum is. Um... And there is the potential that Ethereum could be as usable as a currency as, as, as you know, like we talked about before, you know, the global financial system is made up of many, 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 many different currencies that interact and exchange with each other. And if we're based on a crypto-based crypto financial system, it'll be very much the same. Multiple cryptocurrencies that are readily and easily exchangeable and tradable. Um, and have have different valuations and, and values based on a whole bunch of different factors, um, but effectively it is it is kind of it's kind of like a, a testing ground for what global finance could be, and we're still very early in that testing phase. As much and all as Bitcoin has got immense traction and an incredible potential, we're still kind of figuring out what it can be and how it can be used. It certainly can be used. It can be used as a store of value if you continue to, you know, relate it into fiat money like pounds or dollars or cents or whatever. Or if you are like me and you take a very long-term approach with your your mindset to Bitcoin, you know, I, I, I want me and my family and my boys and, and, and their boys and generations to come to have wealth in Bitcoin because I don't give a stuff about pounds or dollars or cents. If, I, if it plays out the way I see the way I think it will, with circular economies based around Bitcoin as an underpinning global reserve currency, then I don't care about fiat currency. I want to have wealth in Bitcoin. And all the other cryptocurrencies will exchange 
for Bitcoin, if that's the global reserve, or or if it's something else, then, then so be it. But that's kind of why I, I, I try and help people to try and understand you've got to take a longer term view about this, because if you're serious about an alternative financial system, then you can't be thinking back into pounds or dollars or yen or euros or whatever it might be. You've got to decouple your thinking from that. And if you're doing so, then when you, you, you stack sats, when you add to your Bitcoin holding or your other crypto, whatever it might be, you don't care about the price volatility that people keep coming back to. You know, Bitcoin crashes by 50%. Yeah, if all you want to do is cash it back into pounds or dollars. If you don't intend to do that, then your Bitcoin holdings haven't changed at all. If anything, they've become more valuable because there's now less of them available in the market. So it, again, I keep coming back to this idea of making us rethink what money is, how a global financial system can operate, and what what a, what a, the global reserve currency of tomorrow could be. Just in really simple terms, explain the importance of that circular economy idea, that the buying and the selling and everything takes place within Bitcoin. Why is that so important? It's important because if you are constant, if somewhere along that supply chain you have somebody that is only ever interested in in pounds or fiat money then it kind of breaks breaks down and and this is why it's this isn't a change that happens overnight right this is a change that is kind of generational and, and may not may not happen even while you and me are alive to be honest but i do see it that long term that you know maybe it's 50 years maybe it's 100 years i don't know maybe it's 10 shit i don't know maybe it could, could be it could be shorter but the point is is that if, and I use it, I, I use an example of, of, of you know farm to table. If you've got you know you you I've, I've got a steak bake literally on my desk here that I'm desperate to eat because I'm starving. So inside inside that inside that is steak, right? That steak comes from you know a, a producer that gets it. The, you know the, the the cattle from a farmer. Um, you know that farmer grows the cattle, but he's got to pay for you know the the feed and the facilities. You know and what I'm saying is that that entire supply chain, if it's if that the payment of you know if when the farmer goes to buy feed he pays in Bitcoin, when the you know the, the abattoir charges you know whatever they, they're paid in Bitcoin. When the farmer sells it, he's the cattle. He's paid in Bitcoin. When I buy my steak bake from the shop, I pay in Bitcoin. Then you've got an entire circular economy where the exchange and trade takes place fundamentally in Bitcoin. If if the farmer if the, whoever the farmer buys the feed from wants to get paid in pounds, that kind of all breaks down because he needs to then convert it back. And so then, yeah, the volatility of, of Bitcoin actually becomes an issue. And this is where, this is where that, that break in mindset is, is important. And look, I might be wrong. We might never get to that, to that standard. I believe we will f for a number of faulty factors in the traditional system. And there are a number of it's a progressive thing is there are already, you know, there are suppliers of goods and services that want to be paid in Bitcoin. We're seeing sovereign nations decide that, okay, we can accept this as legal tender. As that adoption starts to continue and as we continue to see a growth in adoption, if all of a sudden you do find that, you know, everybody along a supply chain is happily trading in Bitcoin, then all of a sudden fiat money becomes irrelevant and, and, and the, the central bank becomes relevant. This causes issues, as we all know, <laughs> about power and control, which, you know, we don't know how that's always going to play out. But this is a, a real potential 
for an alternative, fully functioning financial system. Um, and we may end up with just, you know, two lanes where you've got a whole bunch of people and suppliers that are willing to operate in a circular Bitcoin economy. And you may have a whole bunch that just don't want to bar of it at all. Um, I, again, I don't, I don't know how that plays out. And this is quite big picture idea to think that we can completely re not rebuild, but we, we've built out a new financial system to shift everything over to that is a big task. Maybe it doesn't happen. Maybe just the, the, the central banks and the, the governments fail and they're all, they all go bankrupt and they're their own worst enemy and they all go to zero. And that we then the alternative that we've got in crypto isn't an alternative anymore. It's actually the, 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 the lifeboat that saves us from the, from the sinking ship. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll let you get to your stake, Sam, but not before you tell us about your latest crypto project, which depending on when people are watching this, they might find a link to below. Um, okay, so with with all of this, is, is we've been talking a lot about what is what could be you know the best money, what is the best money? When it comes to the crypto ecosystem, it's not just about money. Bitcoin is an, an integral part of what money can be and how a financial system can operate. But what is happening outside of that in the wider crypto system with a lot of altcoins, as, as people like to call them, is is that same sort of core idea about a shift of power away, away from centralized controlling authority and it and and distributing and decentralizing that to amongst users, people, individuals like you and me and the people watching uh, at home. That isn't just about money and finance. It can be about data, about privacy, um, about how we access content, how we create and share content, um, everything from music to collectibles to um, uh, movies, um, you know, to, to how, you know, we, we share information or people like books or whatever it might be, uh, social media, um, even how we track and trace uh, you know, I used the example before of, 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 of cattle, you know, into a steak bake. But, you know, I, I could possibly be able to track that steak. And if, if I'm, you know, very conscious about it going through the right kinds of sustainability, farming and all that sort of stuff, I'll be able to find that out. So there's, it's far more in this ecosystem than just Bitcoin and money. It's an entire explosion of different networks, ideas about how we can connect, create, um, Access capital, build capital, uh, raise capital, distribute capital. We're looking at whole change to capital markets, as well as, as I said, you know, everything that's been very centralized and controlled and, and hoarded by, you know, the, the titans of tech and, and government and, um, and and I guess the global wealthy elites. Um, it's it's shifting, it's changing, it's decoupling, and we're at a point with society and with the world where that's a very powerful idea. And there are a number of crypto, there are three in particular, that I think are going to be the bedrock of some of these core ideas around privacy, about, around data, um, around how we connect and, and interact and entertain um, with each other. So I think they have the potential to become you know, the great valuable titans of industry, but in a way where everybody gets to share in the benefits from it. It seems to me that the underlying idea of all this is, is the idea of verification. So you've got on the one hand, you know, how do I know I own something? It's because the government says I do, which is a control based system. And then there's the verification idea, which is what's built into you know, 
the, the cryptocurrency world with blockchain and so on and so forth. And, and you've got those two options. You can have a system that is you know, rules-based and you can verify who owns what. You can deny someone access to something. Uh, and, and it's all about being able to verify who owns what and who controls what versus reliance on an imposition of control from a, a central authority. And I think all of the readers and viewers of Fortune and Freedom will understand at least what that distinction is and why the need to decentralize and have verification based on something other than government control is going to be incredibly important over the next few years. And that, I think, gives cryptocurrencies at least an advantage over other forms of money. Sam Volkring, thanks very much for joining us. And to everyone at home, thanks for watching. Thank <laughs> you.